This is Optimal Living Daily, episode 1687, The Interesting Stuff is the Important Stuff, part two, by T.K. Coleman of tkcoleman.com, and I'm Justin Mollick. Happy Friday, welcome to the old podcast, the OLD podcast, Optimal Living Daily, where I read to you like a big ongoing audiobook from many different authors. Today being a continuation from yesterday, so I'd recommend listening to yesterday's episode first. But if you're all caught up, let's get right to part two and start optimizing your life. The Interesting Stuff is the Important Stuff, part two, by T.K. Coleman of tkcoleman.com. Number four, they will make you interested in the important stuff. I just finished reading a book called Death Note. Technically, it's 12 books. It's a graphic novel series about a high school senior named Light Yugami. Light is a straight-A student who's respected and adored by all of his classmates. He's good-looking, athletic, smart, and personable. One problem, he's bored and unchallenged. But that's all about to change. One day while walking home from school, he sees a black notebook lying on the ground. The cover reads, Death Note. He opens it and finds a bunch of rules written on the first page. The first rule says something like, whoever's name is written in this book shall die. Ah, this can't be true. Silly book. What idiot has the time to make something dark like this? But remember, Light Yugami is bored, so he keeps it for kicks. Of course, Light Yugami isn't gullible enough to actually believe the Death Note works. When he goes home and turns on the television, however, he sees a live news report about a terrible crime in progress. The name and face of the criminal has been identified, but no one can stop him because he's holding people hostage. In a moment of irrational and curious hope or desperation, Light Yugami writes the name of the criminal in the notebook of death and waits. 40 seconds later, the criminal drops dead and the news reporters are shocked. Light doesn't believe it, but his interest is piqued. So now he tries it on another criminal and gets the same result. He soon becomes convinced that the power of life and death belongs in his hands. Does this make him a murderer? What if the people killed by light were all criminals and deserve to die? Does that make it okay? Should he be the one to decide? If not, who should? Should he tell anyone? Can such a book be used for good? What would you do? Death Note aside, is it every right to use violence as a way of dealing with bad people? When? What are the limits? Is violence okay if we use the threat of it as a way to make people behave well? Why? Why not? Isn't that what politics does? Isn't politics the use of violence or the threat thereof as a means of making people do the things we believe are good as a society? How does that differ from a death note? I don't care about your answers to these questions for the time being, but I hope you'd agree that these are amongst the most consequential questions we can ask. See what I did there? Actually, I can't take the credit for it. I didn't do anything. The graphic novel I just told you about did that to me. It made me ask very fundamental philosophical questions about the nature of violence and justice, and it forced me to clarify my own assumptions about right and wrong. These are the very kinds of things addressed in courses on ethics and political philosophy. Most scholars, teachers, and intellectuals would say that's pretty important stuff everyone should think about. Well, guess what? You're more likely to think about important stuff like that if you're not obsessed with thinking about important stuff. If you pursue the stuff that's important to you, it will trick you into caring about a bunch of seemingly boring stuff that's not currently important to you. Ortega Y. Gasset wrote, quote, so many things fail to interest us simply because they don't find in us enough surfaces on which to live. 
And what we have to do is to increase the number of planes in our mind so that a much larger number of themes can find a place in it at the same time, end quote. When you study things that fascinate you, you increase the number of planes in your mind. Now the so-called boring stuff is able to find a surface in your consciousness upon which it can live. When people say things like, oh, that math stuff terrifies me, or art bores me, or philosophy makes my head spin, or reading history makes me fall asleep, it isn't because they need more discipline, it's because they need to increase the number of planes in their mind. There's nothing going on inside their hearts and heads that resonates with the allegedly important stuff that you're trying to make them care about. The antidote is less important stuff and more interesting stuff. They need to fill themselves with themes and ideas that will function as a bridge across which more themes and ideas can travel. You can't follow your interests without picking up new interests and practical tools along the way. As a fine example of how irresponsible curiosity leads to the discovery of useful tools and interesting experiences, consider this excerpt from Down the Rabbit Hole, How I Taught Myself to Code and Become an Engineer by Praxis alumna Madison Canna, quote, I never planned on becoming a software engineer. I dropped out of college and I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. After seeing my big sister code, I got a little curious about it. I decided to forget about what I should do with my life or what I was supposed to learn. I started coding. I started Googling. I followed my curiosity. Much like when Alice follows after the white rabbit, I had no idea where this path would lead to. I just knew I had to find out, end quote. Lots of people would consider software engineering to be one of the quote-unquote important subjects. Well, Madison became a software engineer by chasing her interests. How's that for practicality? Here's the bottom line, folks. Trust your tastes. Shun conventional notions of being cultured and follow your curiosity instead. It's the best way to find useful ideas that you'll actually be motivated to use. You just listened to part two of the post titled The Interesting Stuff is the Important Stuff by TK Coleman of tkcoleman.com. TK is the education director at Praxis, which was mentioned in this article. Madison was an alumna there. And I wanna tell you more about that. It's pretty standard for us to go to a four-year college and send out hundreds of job applications and cross our fingers hoping to get a call back for our dream job. I remember doing that. And I'm really glad those days are over. But have you ever thought about breaking the mold to start developing your career without waiting four years and countless rejections? Praxis, founded in 2013, is a great college alternative that saves you both your time and money. It costs you $0 to start building your skills and expanding your network with Praxis until you get hired. After a six-month bootcamp, Praxis graduates get hired full-time at top startups by month seven with an average first-year income of $50,000. On top of that, Praxis coaches participants for six months while they're on the job. The sky's your limit. Many grads go on to start their own businesses, freelance, or climb the ranks at the companies where they're hired. So if you're ready to land that job that you feel confident about, learn more about Praxis. Visit discoverpraxis.com slash show notes for a free book on how to get ahead without college. That's discoverpraxis.com slash show notes. And again, our author today, TK Coleman, is the education director there. Thank you to him for letting me share his articles. It's interesting how it works. It reminds me of high school. For example, I hated writing and history, basically anything outside of math, science, and music. 
but it's because I felt I was forced to write about a specific subject I had no interest in or read about something I considered boring at the time. I'm not saying we should completely do away with required reading, although one of my favorite books I read in college is sort of a textbook called This Book Is Not Required, funny title, and it challenges the notion of required reading, among other things. But anyway, I remembered that outside of high school, before that, I loved writing. I used to write my own -own choose-your-own-adventure style mini-books in fourth grade. It's just the environment with high school reading, it wasn't helpful for me personally at the time. And look how much I read today, 1,687 articles worth on this podcast alone. So definitely something to think about. And again, check out discoverpraxis.com slash show notes for more stuff like this and for that free ebook. But that'll do it for today in the Friday episode. I'll be back over the weekend. So I'll see you there where your optimal life awaits.